Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to this episode of From Prison to Purpose. My name is Jimmy McGill. I'm the author of the book From Prison to Purpose. I'm a social media influencer. I'm a person in long-term recovery, and I'm also someone who has successfully reentered society from incarceration and found a life worth living. And on today's episode, we are going to talk with Tad Gates. I like to play around with him and call him Taddeus Reigns. He doesn't really really like that. But Tad has been to prison five times. He's a former gang member affiliated to a white supremacy gang. He used substances the majority of his life, and today he's trying to live different. And so without any hesitation, Tad, welcome to the show, man. I appreciate to be here, buddy. You nervous? No, not really, man. I've come a long way in life, so I ain't got nothing to be nervous. Yeah, yeah, you're a pretty big old boy. I don't, I don't <laughs> think we're gonna have no trouble. That's right. So, what's what's Tad's story? Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Who is Tad? Man, I grew up in Newport, Arkansas, and uh, man, ever since I was a kid, man, I wanted to be something. You know, when people chased after dreams that were good i always thought the good things were being a tough guy and chasing after drugs and women and stuff that's what intrigued me and it was a lie you know and uh i spent most of my life trying to advance in that life about you know trying to get the most drugs and women and everything that i never learned how to be a man and take care of things i needed to take care of you know i thought that i had everything planned out that i wanted and uh you know god gave me a little girl that inspired me to try to change my life and I've lost a lot of friends on the way and lost some loved ones to drugs. So trying to get it right, man. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty, everything you just said was pretty traumatizing, man. Where do you yeah. think that that false perception started at? Like you, you said that, you know, being the tough guy, chasing girls, having drugs was your idea of good things. Where, where did that come from? I don't know. I always, when I went to school, I was always getting paddlings. I was always getting in trouble. I wanted to be the center of attention, wanted to be the tough guy. I wanted to do this and that and thought that that's what, you know, made me happy at the time. I was focusing all my stuff on bad stuff, you know, and uh, I don't really know. It's just like, that's what made me happy. My, my thing was in the world, not on God or anything like that. Like, my parents, my grandpa and them, they used to go to church and stuff like that, but I never did try to get into that when I was a kid, you know. I always chased bad things, so, you know, my life was pretty much drugs and girls and stuff until my daughter got a little bit older and then her mother passed away and I'm excited to get it right now, you know, and I'm not chasing after those things no more. It's like God just put a switch in my heart and changed it, you know. And I knew he was real, and it had to be nothing but God that changed it because I knew I, that ain't what I wanted in life. And now it's I want to, something totally different. Like my heart has done done a three sixty, you know. Now, so, so where were you, where were your parents at when you were growing up? Oh, my dad was kind of older. He was a he was a car dealer in Newport, but he was like forty four. He died when I, he was sixty five when I was twenty years old. I just got out of prison. And I tried to take care of him the year before he died, you know, go by there. And I finally got a job because I just wanted to make him proud. I always was, you know, like the black sheep of the family, you know. And my mom, she worked a lot. So, and he wasn't really around. He was an older guy, you know. He didn't, he was behind me though. Even when I was doing bad, you know, he always was trying to defend me. All oh, the police is wrong and stuff like that, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. So, biggest, biggest champion. Yeah. And, uh, he wasn't a bad guy. I heard he used to be an alcoholic and stuff back in the day. But my dad, he was like an older guy, so he didn't really talk to us or, or have any emotions. You know, he probably told me he loved me three times in my whole life. 
And the last time he told me he loved me was the day before he died, you know? And uh, so I kind of grew up uh, without love and stuff like that. Like that's sissy stuff, man. You know what I mean? You don't cry. You don't do none of that, you know? Yeah. So how old are you when drugs and alcohol first enter, enter into your I remember smoking weed with the neighbors when I was 10 years old off a Coke can, you know, and we looked up to those guys because they had the women and they had drugs and stuff like that. We just how how are cool. you even interested in a woman at 10 years old, <laughs> just was, man? I used to hear my dad talk about women and stuff like that. So that's what I thought that I needed to chase and all the time and have. So, so dad did have an impact on a young Tad's perception. Yeah, somewhat, you know. Okay. He had a good impact too, because he worked all the time, but he didn't really have no heart to hearts. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. He didn't really have the time to invest in you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's crazy because we just interviewed Brock Walker on the last episode mm -hmm. and he started using at nine and 10 years old, yeah. smoking weed too. It's, that's okay. So you're smoking weed off a Coke can with the neighbor at 10 years old. Yeah. Okay. What's next? Started doing meth, graduated to meth when I was 13, you know, and I loved it. I, I loved it so much I was trying to get my friends to do it, you know. So where did you get meth at 13? I, we, I always hung out with older people, you know. I didn't really click with guys my age because I don't know. I don't know what it was. I guess I was a little bit more mature for my age or something or they thought it was funny or what, you know. But I hung out with older people and we just – we. They had some meth, and I was like, you want to try it? And I was like, heck, yeah, because I'm down to do anything. You know what I mean? That's how a, a kid I was. I was down to do anything. And anything that impressed them. Yeah. If, if they cool. liked it, you thought that meant they liked you. Yeah, that too. And, uh, and I was wondering, well, heck, they're cool. You know what I mean? And uh, if that's what cool people do, I'm going to do it too. You know. And I, I've had friends that I introduced meth to when I was a kid that OD'd and died and stuff like that. And I'm like, dang, man, I wonder if I would have never – introduced it to them you know and stuff like that so i kind of grew up quick for my age so. okay so how did you do the math at 13 i was smoking it and i smoked it on full and then i graduated to a needle when i was 16 years old and uh but i had an older friend you know me and him used to get into it because he didn't believe in shooting up but i didn't care about none of that you know what i'm saying and i shot up for a couple of years and when I was 17 or 18, kind of pretty much tried to get my own place when I had my daughter at 17, you know, and uh, trying to sell drugs and stuff like that, man. It just, I thought that's what life was about. It was a good way for me. That's all I ever knew, you know, and then that's what I invested my time in learning about was all that game. Nothing else that really piqued my interest. You know? Now, where's your mom at during all this time? She's working and stuff, and I drove her crazy when I was a kid. She used to try to tell me stuff, but I'm I'm a hard-headed individual. You're not going to tell me nothing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially when I was a kid. Okay, okay. So right now, your drug use starts at 10. Mm -hmm. You get introduced to meth at 13. Start shooting meth at 16. Yeah. Dad's older. You're not listening to mom, so there's not – not any really real parental impact. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how old are you when law enforcement comes into play? Oh, I got in, I've gotten trouble. I went to the juvenile center when I was 13, you know, me and kids broke into a house with some girls and kind of vandalizing and stuff. And they come in and arrested us. And so I stayed on juvenile probation at age 13, caught my first felonies. And I had a problem with going to school and everything. So eventually they, my 
uh, juvenile parole officer sent me to a conference in Memphis yeah, for drugs and stuff like that. Cause I had the cops at Newport school, the school I went to searching me and my friend's locker every day. Cause they knew we was trying to sell drugs and stuff like that. How were you then? I was 13 years old. So how, how long were you locked up in the juvenile system? I think I was there nine months, something like that. 10 months. Nine months as a kid. So uh, do you think that desensitized you for the prison sentences that would later come? Yeah, I think that because I fit in, you know what I'm saying there. And it kind of, I felt like you were comfortable. You know, I, could, I could do it. You know what I mean? Because I was that type of person. And, uh, Did you get in any fights in the juvenile? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Most of them boys was from Memphis and they don't like no little white dude, man. Yeah. I was, uh, I'm hard headed. You know what I mean? I'm not going. So I had, I had a lot of problem with authority and people tell me what, what I can and can't do. So I've always pretty much stood up for myself, whether I was right or wrong. So, so was there, was there any like a mistreatment from the staff at the juvenile facility that you were at? You know, I, I asked that because when I was, I spent from 14 to uh -huh. 16 in the division of youth services in Arkansas yeah. and staff whooped me regularly. Oh, yeah. They'd stretch you on out, you know, you get yeah. fights, they're, they're smothering you in the ground and stretching your arm back and putting you like in these choke holds and stuff. Yeah. And they're trying to break your arms, you know, some old boy got his arm broke and everything and his head put through a chicken wire glass, you know. By the staff, yeah, slammed into it. It's I don't I don't understand why nobody holds them accountable. Like they just continuously do it and and they get away with it. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Because uh, they don't get how that kind of impacts your life. They on authority figures and everything. That's you know it makes you despise them really. Yeah, so. yeah, it makes you absolutely hate them, right? Like, and. You know, I've done a lot of recovery work on me, and so I can look back and I can see where the seeds were planted in my childhood where law enforcement was the enemy. And it, it goes all the way back and starts to there's the cops put your seatbelt on. Yeah. And all of, so that plants the seed that, okay, cops are something I need to fear. I need to be scared of them oh, because yeah. my dad, who's the toughest, most violent man I've ever mm -hmm. witnessed in my life, telling people to put their seatbelts on because there they are, you know, mm. and seeds are planted and they grow. And yeah. so I can only imagine how, how that affected you. Oh yeah. It's definitely traumatic, but it, it seemed normal to me and stuff like that in a way, you know, and uh, especially my earlier years going to prison and stuff like that, man, I, it got to where a normal or it was a normalcy seeing somebody get stabbed or police beating you up or whatever, man, you know what I mean? So it's crazy how you get you get a feeling of that's normal about crazy stuff that happens to you. Abnormal you becoming normal. Yeah. Yeah. Now you said a while ago that the kids from Memphis didn't like a little white kid. Mm -hmm. So were you like was it racially outnumbered? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you know, and I've had to uh, stand up for other kids, other little white kids you know that was in there and that wouldn't stand up for themselves because not everybody was like me you know and i felt bad for them yeah. so do you think that impacted your feelings and kind of shaped your perception to when you get to prison you oh, clearly yeah. become an active gang member uh -huh. of a predominant white gang and so i'm yeah. curious if your childhood experiences influenced that oh yeah totally you know i had my mind that we're not the same as them we take care of our own they take care of their own and that's just how it went, you know, in there. I was I was a gang member from the age 20 to 
for 10 years, you know, or 18, no, yeah, 18 years old till I was, yeah, 29. So. Okay. Yep. So how old are you when you get out of juvenile? Uh, I think I was 14. And then, and then how long did you stay out? I stayed out for a little bit and got kicked out of school and got my GD. And I don't get it too, because I was kind of a smart kid growing up. I, I made A's and B's and didn't have to study for nothing, you know? And a lot of teachers would tell my parents and say everything. I don't know what's wrong with him. He wants, he's so smart, but he's chasing after everything else that is not good for him and everything they've even tried bribing me with scholarships before i quit school like hey we'll get you this art scholarship do 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 if you finish school and stuff like that but i was like no i can do all this on my own give me my gd i don't need school or whatever and i even went to college for a few months and then i went to jail caught my first set of real felonies at 17 and when i turned 18 went to rpf and then prison shortly after that so so when when you went to prison that first time you're 18 years old? Were you scared? No, I'd been to juvenile centers, but I already had my mind played out. If anybody messes with me, I'm just going to take care of my business right there because I already know what the business was. Juvenile doesn't train me for that, you know what I mean? Yeah, gladiator yeah. preschool, yeah. And it's worse than some of the real prisons, you know. Facts. Arkansas DYS, when I was there, I was there from 14 to 16, yeah. and you can take every trip I went to prison, which totaled six. You can mix them in a pot and it wouldn't equal 20% of how hard DYS was. Yeah. Kids don't have any heart and they're mean as hell. Oh, yeah. They don't yeah. care. That's right. So you get to prison, you're 18 years old, you're not scared. What's day one like for you? I'm with a bunch of people that are just like me, really. It was, normal. It was crazy because I see some people that go through a hard time, but I never had any hard time with it you know and it was it was kind of a little relief because i was always on drugs to get locked up and have a break a little bit you know even though there were still drugs in there it was like a relief to get locked up and I, and that's that's crazy man that's crazy how you get get that way you know and i was like man this ain't nothing i was like i can do this i could do this over and over again if i had to yeah like, i'm gonna get back out there and get this money and women and do whatever you know and uh, that's crazy how you think like that, man. And some people have a really hard time with it. So that on your first trip to prison, is that when you became a gang member? Yeah, I was you know, 19 years old when I got down with white supremacist group. So In prison? What prison were you in? I went to Malvern and Roseville, and I've been to Brickies, too. Okay. So how did that happen? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? It was just like a, a bunch of people that were just like me, old country boys, you know, that stood up for themselves and stand up for ours and just didn't care what anybody thought, man. And that's what my perception was, was a brotherhood, you know, and I never had that. I had brothers growing up, but I never talked to them. I still don't talk to some of my brothers to this day because I was different than them growing up, man. I always wanted something worse in life, so they didn't have time to mess with me. I was crazy, you know? Yeah. So it was, it felt more like a, you know, I, I got my brothers there and how I got in with them, you know, somebody said something about one of my friends, whether you're my friend or not, I'm going to stick up for you. I've been like that my whole life. So I remember slapping this dude of a, a different color and almost getting into it with the whole pod over one of my friends that was affiliated. And that's when they started looking at me and realized that I wasn't scared of nothing. So I guess they figured it was a good contender for it. So. Yeah. Yep. 
So what's, did you ever do any bad things for the gang? Oh yeah. I've done, I've done a lot of things, you know, that I ain't proud of and everybody in prisons like that, you know, and uh, I've done some things people I didn't deserve it. I don't think, but, but you're caught up in that lifestyle, you know, you're going to take care of yours. That's how it is. When you get to prison, it's a survival mode. You're going to stick with your kind. You're going to stick with your brothers, you know, and if you're weak, you'll get weeded out, you know, and you don't want to be weak in there. So I guess I was kind of misled by that and the brotherhood in it, you know, cause I had, I had brothers, but they weren't actually my brothers, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I felt the love from it that I didn't get from the house, you know, in prison. Yeah. My brothers. So. So did you, did you see any sexual misconduct stuff while you were there? I seen a bunch of people there doing stuff like that, but you know, you get labeled as that. It or saying it that could yeah, happen. And in it, prison. And I feel sorry because it's weak minded people, man. People get taken advantage of down there, and it's sad, really, because they don't have it in them to stand up for themselves. So yeah, but nobody ever tried you like that. No. Would you? Would you tell me if they did? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you didn't know they've been stabbed. <laughs> okay, all right then. What about drug use? Did your drug use continue while you were in prison? Oh yeah, this last time I went to prison was worse than anything, man. I went in weighing two hundred pounds, getting out weighing one hundred and sixty. So crazy! <laughs> I just heard the same similar story from our other guy. Like mm-hmm. he, I mean, the drug use continued. He was talking yep. about people swimming and throw up, physically swimming on K yep. two. But did you see anything like that with K two? Oh, yeah. What What's some of the stories? Like, didn't didn't I hear you say one time somebody was thought they were riding a motorcycle? Tell yeah. it. Will you tell oh, yeah. that story? One of my friends, he got high on that stuff. I was like, man, we're about to go ride a motorcycle. I pulled him over to the rack and I jumped on it and I said, man, we got to lean. You can't fall off this motorcycle. I messed up. And he leaned with me like we was riding up. Like, don't wreck us, man. It's crazy, dude. And people That's dying nuts. down there. People dying down there every week off that K2, man. And it, I remember back. Well, why in, do they keep doing it? Addicted? It's, it's, it's insanity. Addiction, man. man. It's insanity. It's crazy. And the people that keep going to the hospital and stuff will get out. And straight go back to smoking it, knowing that it could kill him. You know, a dude nosedive off the tears one time when I was there. A guy, they get all butt naked and crazy on that stuff, falling, and people are whooping on them. And it's crazy, man. It's insanity. It's cr- so crazy. And they call it the deuce card when they had to put them on a stretcher because they had to tie down because they're freaking acting crazy, flopping, like, flopping out. You know, look like it got a demon in them or something. So how are they? How how do they get it in there? You know, a convict will find any ways to do anything. You know, it's just like its own world in there. Like, yeah, especially if you're in a maximum security prisons like I've been to. It ain't like you're, they're gonna come take everything from him. If a guy's got life, I mean, if a guy's got life, what do they got to lose? Leave him alone. Yeah, they let got him live their life in peace. Yeah, they might take your life. You come try to take yeah. their stuff. So yeah. It's crazy. Most, most of the lifers that I met in the joint, they they did better time than everybody else. Yeah. They were calm. They were comfortable just trying to make the best of what they got. Yeah. See, meth is so bad down there right now, though. They got people walking around so paranoid, been up for days carrying knives with them and stuff like crazy. that. Crazy. Insanity. Oh, yeah. It's crazy, man. Why is the house? Because when I left, there was some dope down there, but it wasn't like it is now. Like the stories I hear now is everybody's all the time. Oh yeah. It's, it's bad, man. Used to, when I used to go to prison, start going to prison, it was a relief to get off the streets. Yeah. And I feel like I get a get vacation, a vacation yeah. from the insanity I had out there. But now you go back to prison, it's more insane than what it was. Yeah, I mean, it, it's right there. You can't get away from it. 
anywhere nowadays. So, yeah. And everybody's got it. Every Barry's oh, yeah. has got it. Everywhere, man. It's everywhere. So, there. how much is an eight ball of, of ice in the penitentiary? Oh, you can get it much, almost cheap as the streets now. So, about yeah, 50 bucks. $100 cash out. $100 cash out. Yeah. Get you an eight ball. I guarantee it. You can get anything in the penitentiary. Yeah, you can get anything in there, man. Except for recovery. Yeah, except for recovery. Yeah. I remember standing up at court this time, man, and telling them, I was like, I've never had a chance to do recovery. Every time y'all send me back to prison, I get out and I'm strung out on dope and can't take care of my family and my kids are screwed, man. You know, I need to do something with my life, you know. And I know prison wasn't the right thing for me this time. I know I get back in that mode and that scares me going back to the old man I used to be, man, because I don't want to be that guy no more. I don't want yeah. my kid growing. I could try, try not to beat on the table. I'm not sorry. I couldn't imagine my daughter doing meth at 13, man. That breaks my heart to even think about her doing But that's how old you are. Yeah, that breaks my heart to know. So I want to I want to tell you something, Tad. Something I've learned in recovery is all the demons that you don't face and break, your kids are going to have to. All those curses that you're talking about right now, if you don't break them, your children are going to have to face them. That's right. If you don't learn how to, yeah, that's that's a raw dose of reality. That's the realest thing you ate today, oh, dog. That's right. I got to get it right this time, man. If you no don't, choice. your kids are going to battle the same demons that you weren't old, strong enough to, to get over. Oh, yeah. And we don't recover alone. So, okay. So you, you're in the joint, you're using drugs, you're an active gang member. Are you rising through the ranks? What's it like uh, in, in the life of the gang? Uh, I ain't gonna get too much into it. You know what I mean? I ain't trying to toot my own horn. I go hard at everything I do, man. And that's why I'm trying to do this recovery thing, man. Cause I know everything I've done in life, I've, I've excelled in. So I excelled in that life and I'm, I'm tired of it, man. I'm going to leave that behind me and move on to this recovery thing. And the gang stuff, far as that goes in prison, that's the old me. And it kind of, it scares me to go back to that guy. You know, I've done a lot of violent things in life and done things that I ain't proud of that I don't never want my kids to know about and stuff. So, yeah. So when you get out of prison this last time, what happens? When I got out of prison this last time, the mother of my kid died two weeks before I got out. Mm. No, it, that's what really broke me, man. My daughter telling me, daddy, where was you at when I needed you? You know, and that's when I, that was my rock bottom right there. You know, nothing could scare me in this world or hurt me more than my daughter telling me that. I've seen people get stabbed, hung themselves and dead and everything in prison. But the thing, my rock bottom was my daughter telling me, daddy, where was you at when my mom died and I needed you? So how did, how did she die? Old Fentanyl. I guess they wouldn't really say, you know, she had bad diabetes too, but she, she wouldn't take care of herself and uh, they done an autopsy and they would never say, you know, so it was drug related, but yeah, a lot of drug deaths are mm -hmm. underreported in Arkansas. And it, and what got me, Jimmy, she never done drugs like that growing or anything. Mm -hmm. And then the one year she got on that stuff, it, it killed her, you know, and I had a lot of, uh, and you were in prison when she started using, or how did that happen? Because you said she wasn't using, and then yeah. all of a sudden one year she is using, yeah. and she dies that year. Yeah, she get, she got with the old boy and then got her on it, man. And she used to down me for it and everything like that. And it made me think, man, I've got to change my life because you don't realize what you're affecting people seeing. Mm -hmm. You do it and people seeing you go through everything. 
and they're like, oh, that made me think, man, I wonder if I was the reason why, you know, she started doing it later on. I've never done it with her or anything like that. But addiction's the only disease that you can have it, and then everybody around you is as sick and as infected as it is. Like it is impacting them to the degree that it is you, oh, yeah. and they're not even the ones using. They're doing time with you. They're they're losing with you. They're in fear that you're going to lose your life. Like addiction is an equal opportunity destroyer. It will take you from Yale to jail. It will take you from Park Place Boulevard to a park bench in the boulevard. You know what I mean? Like it will take you uh, from cufflinks to handcuffs. That's what it does, man. Don't give a damn. Everybody can get it. White, black, short, tall, big, small, no discrimination. It'll still kill and destroy, man. Yeah, it's good at it, too. Yeah, and it'll manipulate you and think, well, I can do this and that. And I try to play that game for a long time, man, thinking, well, if I get tired of this drug, I can move to another one that ain't affecting me bad and try to win the game of it. And you can't win the game. It's unbeatable. It'll tear you down and break you down until you're dead, you know. And that's what it done to the mother of my kid. And I knew right then, man, I've got to get it because – what would I be like? What would my daughter be like if she grew up without a mama and a daddy? They're both dead, you know? She ain't got no chance. So I'm trying to give her a chance and show her that I can do good, man. Because if she ever does fall, she can look back and say, oh, my daddy changed his life and is doing good and is helping people now. And he's been through hell his whole life. So you don't, you don't want her growing up with your bros? <laughs> no, I don't want You don't want your daughter anybody. growing up around the gang life? No. It's a hard pill to think about, ain't it, man? Yeah. I don't want her being with the guy that I used to be, you know? That scares me. It should scare you. Yeah. It should scare you because you know how we treated women. And, and again, any curse you don't break, she's got a face. Oh, that's right. That's another tough pill to swallow, man. So, all right, her mom dies, and you hit this spiritual bottom. You're like, Okay, it just hit different when your daughter said those words to you. Yeah. And so now you're in recovery. Yeah. And so how did you get here? Like, because everybody watching and listening, they probably, most of them follow us on Facebook or TikTok. And you know how that is. We've got hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of followers. And so it's like they, they've seen pictures of you. They want to hear the stories of the guys. So how did you end up going from prison to getting here to the recovery house? Well. I remember going to jail this last time and I really wanted something different in life, man. I was like, man, I've got to quit doing this. I want something better in life. I'm tired of this now. I'm finally tired of it. I want something better for my daughter. I want something. It ain't just me. I got to think about because me, I can drag myself through hell and not care about it, you know, self-destruct. But now I've got a, I've got a purpose in my life that I want now. And I, I got down on my knees and prayed to God, and I said, God, if you're real, make a way to get get me out of here, to get me in recovery, something that's going to work this time for me and my daughter. I said, please, God. I cried out to him. And it's crazy because my pro-luster come up there, and I talked to him, and he acted like, you know, he was actually for me doing that for, one, for once in my life because I've never had nobody pull for me. I've never had no, – they always just want to look at me and be like, lock his ass, excuse me. Yeah, yeah you're lock him up. You know what I mean? Never had no chance. And when I stood up in court that day and told him everything I told him earlier about, you know, I've never had a chance to do this. They said you can bond out and go to rehab or whatever 
and he dropped my cast on me for the first time. I've never had none of that happen. It had to be God, you know. Then I called a pure counselor and told him, I'm trying to do this, man. I'm trying to do this. I want to do good for my daughter. I want this. I've got to do this. I'm doing this for me, too, because I've never had nothing in life, and I want something in life, man. I've got to. I can finally look in the mirror today and know that I got a purpose now. Everything, all the hell that I went through and all the pain that I suffered and stuff wasn't for nothing now. You know, yeah. I can help somebody. I feel like I got a purpose now. Is that so, what you feel like your purpose is carrying a message to people oh, who yeah. are still on fire in the same flames that you used to be in? Oh yeah. Cause if I can do it, anybody can do it, man. That's right. I, I come from the deep pits of hell on yeah. this earth, you know, yeah. it was raining there, you know? Yeah. So if I could have a change of heart, anybody could, because anybody's been locked up with me, I was the first one to try to start some violent stuff or do something. Yeah. Sort of mean to crash the it. whole car out. Yeah. Crash dummy in the driver's seat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking them all the way. Yeah. We're going all the way to ISO. Yeah. 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 I get I'm it. not care about the consequences. So what, what is, what does your life look like right now that you're sober? I can actually see a lot at the end of this tunnel now. Used to, I knew that eventually I was going to die in prison or die somewhere. It didn't, and thought that my daughter was better off without me, man, that I was better off dead. And now I could finally look in the mirror and be like, man, I'm like, you're going to do this, man. You've got something, you know, that some people that don't have, we made it out of there. And it's our, it's our decision if we want to keep going on this road, because we fall back, it might be the last chance we ever get, you know? Yeah. This might be the last chance we ever get. That's how I feel about it. So. Yeah. And so has your uh, perception of racial stuff changed since you got in recovery? I know my higher power says every knee will bow before him. And I don't think there's really, I don't think there's going to be a skin color on your spirit when you leave here, you know? Yeah. People are made different and people are not agree about things and people are going to butt heads and stuff like that, you know? And I don't have no problem with anybody right now or anything like that. I've had a change of heart. I just want my daughter to have love and peace in her heart. That's what I want for my life now, love and peace now, instead of violence and anger and yeah. misery. Because it's nothing but misery at the end of the day. It might seem exciting at first, but everything boils down to misery. It ain't nothing but misery in yeah. that way. So you're working? You got a job? Yep, working, welding. And I uh, actually got a plan for the future, you know. What's your plan look like? It looks like I'm going to get me a welder and try to hit this pipeline and eventually get enough money. And I want to stay plugged into a church. And I like Link Church. I want to get me some money, come back, and probably move my kids and fiance up here. And uh, she's never given up on me. Never done drugs or anything and seen something in me no girl could ever see, you know. And yeah. She cries every day, man. And that woman right there has been everything to me. She's a, she texts me and told me today, I love you. And I'm thank God every day that God's come in my life. Cause you know, she yeah. said, that, she said that it's changing her somehow seeing me do all this. It's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Recovery reciprocates. Yeah. That's good stuff. God will shine through you, man. Yeah, man. Okay. They said God will take all the, take all the foolish things in this world to shame the wise, you know, I believe that's what he's doing with me because I, I believe there's a lot of people that thought I wasn't going to make it. But Yeah. 
Okay. So is there, is there anything that you would want to leave the viewers with the listeners? And if you, so you can just look in this camera right here and say whatever you got to say, man. I know recovery is possible because if I can do it, anybody can do it, you know, and you got to change the people that you're hanging out with people, places and things. And, uh, you can't hang out with chickens if you want to soar with eagles. So that's right, man. Yeah, that's right. So I've had to change everything about me and the people I was around because you are who you come around, you know, turn Good. yourself in to be. So it is possible. If I can do it, anybody can do it. God, what makes them do it? I announced that today. My Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done it for me. So I love it. I got to say, I love it, man. Well, thank you for coming on the show. We were glad to have you. And <laughs> if you haven't already subscribed to the YouTube, the social media, please go do that. Follow and leave in the comments which guy's story you want to hear next. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to From Prison to Purpose with Jimmy McGill. Please subscribe on any of the major podcasting platforms and on YouTube at Prison to Purpose. This podcast is produced by Ty King with American Business Engine and executive producer Jimmy McGill. For more information, visit us at jimmymcgill.org.